0: Welcome to episode 22 of Keeping Track. My guest today is a Limerick man who has done immense work for the independent music scene in Limerick and also here in Cork. Cutting his teeth in Limerick as a promoter, he started out with the non-profit Aspersian Music Collective and by the mid-2000s, AMC were bringing bands like the Yaya ya and Fugazi to Limerick. In 2003, he co-founded Out Lim Records, which is one of the longest-running independent labels in Ireland. In 2007, he moved to Cork and began a long stint as a purveyor of all things underground with plugged records. He ran the usually popular alternative club night ping-pong. He started another independent record label called Penske Recordings. He still puts on gigs as a promoter under various monikers from time to time and he has most recently become a library assistant in the Cork City Libraries. There's much to talk about so without any further curtain raising I'd like to welcome Albert Toomey to the show. How's All it right? going
1: Dave? Cheers. Thanks for having me.
0: Do you want to give us your first tune there?
1: Um, the first one is Hemant per Terry Yad and I heard it first on a killer Indian psych funk compilation. Yeah I love it. Can't get enough of it.
0: picked by my guest today Albert Toomey I think it would be fair to say that in cities the size of Limerick and Cork Communities need people who take it upon themselves to make their city a little bit more culturally vibrant. People like independent promoters and people who run small venues say. I have said this in a previous interview, but when I started going out and gigging from 97, I totally took all that infrastructure for granted. I just presumed that promoters were like civil servants who had to put on local gigs and bring brands in from out of town. It was only when I got a little bit older I realized that it was all done through people's own volition. Individuals or a collective of individuals who are proud of their city and tried to make it a bit better, where they didn't have to look to Dublin or London as places where they might feel more culturally satisfied. Did working with AMC instilled that ethos in you, do you think? You know, by rolling up your sleeves, you can make things happen in your own city if nobody else is doing it.
1: Yeah, 100 percent. I think when I was living in Limerick, there was always shows happening in Dolan's, but it was nothing that we were like my crew were totally into. So friends of mine decided to start a collective and I was unsure of of exactly what was happening. So I just kind of listened in. I went to a meeting and I was kind of into it. And I said, Okay, this, this sounds interesting. So the first show was pretty much a bunch of bands playing, money put back into a kitty towards maybe buying a PA, helping with flyering, postering, all that kind of stuff. We were hoping to have a bigger picture where we could have band practice rooms and stuff like that. That never really materialised. But yeah, so it was an interesting idea. I was kind of curious at the start. And when we put on the first show, then I was kind of, I had the bug. I thought it was great. People showed up, people were interested. I think the first show that ha- that happened was in Coslos. And it was a difference. It was like folk bands, there was punk bands. It was like, it was great. That was it. I was involved. There was a, a hardcore of maybe five or six six people and that grew to maybe close to 10 over the few years that the AMC was running. We put on all sorts of shows from punk rock, metal, hardcore, folk, electronic just everything we were, we all had a, a wide array of tastes and uh, yeah happy to uh, lay it out in front of the Limerick people
0: I was probably born out of a sense of frustration was it? Because
1: it? It was yeah I mean you want to be entertained like like we're all social kind of animals you know I mean I'm kind of older now so I don't have to get out that much anymore to get my fix but um, at that stage I was travelling to Dublin a lot and I think one of the things that inspired me was going to the Hope Collective shows and seeing shows they put on a bunch of us would travel from Limerick lot drive up and back on the same day and night you know and it was kind of a bit of a struggle I was kind of going yeah why can't why can't it happen in Limerick you know it's we understood the university was quite a bit away from the city I guess it's like three or four kilometers out maybe five I don't think they ventured into town too much which we found actually when we put on shows you'd get the odd UL head but you wouldn't get a lot of them we found that the our college in Limerick was good if they showed up at shows the gig was going to be rocking otherwise yeah it's hard to get folks out get inspired them to come to shows as well sometimes so yeah that was our job just to to make people excited about seeing shows again and um, we did have to move around the city a lot as well so we used venues like the high stool the boat club and we were a diy collective so i guess it would have been nice to have our own venue and stuff but that was never the case and um, we did some shows in Dolan's as well Um all these things cost money obviously so we just had to be careful but yeah it was fun met a lot of cool people slept on the floor a lot cooked for a lot of people <laughs> made a lot of friends uh, within the collective and outside as well and met a lot of people in the city that really appreciated what we did so it was all in fairness it was a great learning curve for me to understand myself I guess and what Limerick is about as well
0: What year did you start doing that? What year did you get involved? I
1: think it was 1999 when I started getting involved one of our mates Trevor Meehan was running a fanzine called Unfit for Consumption he was frustrated about the amount of hardcore shows that were happening in Dublin and not in Limerick so he started reaching out through the fanzine and people were saying oh yeah if you can help us get a show there we'll do it and before we know it, we were running all ages shows mostly in the Savoy and so some in the boat club and it was great for like kids who wouldn't get the opportunity to go to shows and obviously in pubs that would be over eighteen or whatever we had the opportunity to as carefully as possible obviously when you have kids on a licensed property you can cause problems but we just had to be careful on that front as well parents obviously would have concerns about their kid going to a venue where there would be alcohol when we ran the Fugazi show it was an all-age show as well it's part of for guys you're about as well. It's like all age, everyone welcome, support yourselves, yeah. help yourselves, protect yourselves. And it was great to see kids at the show as well. I mean, these are the future as well, you know. The generation before you. What was what was it like in Limerick then? Can you remember? Yeah, Bob O'Connell from the Savoy. He used to run Termites Club. I guess it would have been the equivalent of freak scene down here. There was quite a few venues around the city that were working. Um, the Savoy didn't have the live rig in. So every time there was a show on, you'd have to haul that up the stairs, which was... A nasty business, I have to tell you, but uh, it was a good time for shows. Bob put on the Manic Street Preachers, stuff like that. So you, you you got to see shows. The wedding present came through. So there was gigs happening that were of interest. UL didn't really put on shows. They put on the odd one. We all piled on a bus and went out to see therapy, tear up the stables. And that was good. But I mean, the shows were a little lower on the ground. So we found ourselves hitching to Dublin or if we could afford to get the bus to Dublin to see shows as well. So.
0: You mentioned Fugazi there earlier. Um, Do you think that was the pinnacle of AMC?
1: Yeah, I guess that was probably the biggest show we put on. It was an incredible night. It was a long day for all of us. We all had our jobs to do during the day and get everything right. And um, a big responsibility to get over 300 people into the venue, make sure they're safe. And actually, after it was all done, I had to clean the toilets because we had to turn it into a nightclub. That was part of the reason I got the venue. I, I said I'd take care of all that that was an unfortunate <laughs> <laughs> end to my evening but um, it was well worth it it was a great show we had a hundred people down from Cork as well Jimmy from Plugged sold a hundred tickets for us so that was great in Limerick you'd, you'd never expect a venue to sell out at the alternative shows so with this one it was tickets started to pick up and then it was just sold out and it was insane like people trying to get in And but two buses I think or three buses came down from Cork so that was that was great
0: for anybody listening who doesn't know who Fugazi are
1: yeah um,
0: Can you try to explain their importance as an underground DIY punk band? Do you think their influence can still be seen on bands coming out today?
1: Oh, absolutely. I think, well, particularly on a musical side, yeah, like angular guitars, kind of post-hardcore sound is is still very popular and still gets me as well, you know, I guess coming into noise rock and, and stuff like that. And politically, they were always very sound, playing shows with access to kids as well, obviously. When it comes to security as well, it's a case of they weren't keen on having, let's say, goons take care of the show it's like self-policing show that was a big part of it I guess lyrically as well anti-war and just a more humanist ethics like that they were always getting people to look after themselves I guess Mm. and same with the shows when people come to the shows it's like hey mind the person next to you make sure you have a good time but just
0: you obviously met them that day did they do they carried that through? Yeah, through 100%. Design?
1: It was, I mean, there was some teething issues at the show. I mean, the Savoy was a, is a difficult venue. Again, it was a venue where we had to haul the PA in, get it wired up for sound and everything. A lot of work to do. They were very calm. I mean, they play all sorts of venues. And I think when we booked them, when I rang the agency, I think one of the main reasons that he said yes to Limerick was that it was right between Cork and Galway and it was a town they hadn't played before. And I think they were always keen to see new cities as well. So that was, that was something that was on our side. They had played Cork in 1999. A great show, Nancy's, was at that. And I'd seen them in Dublin at the SFX in, I think it was 1993. Incredible live band. So, I mean, it was very important, again, for the collective to book them and get the job done and be professional as well. Even though we were a collective, we're not strictly promoters, but we did promote shows as such, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. The next one is one of my all time favorite bands for April convention. Autopsy. It's rockin'. It's a little long, but it's great.
2: let
0: That was Fairport Convention with Autopsy and as picked today by my guest, Albert Toomey. I don't know why, but for some reason I was surprised to see Fairport Convention in your track list.
1: I'm delighted you were surprised. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, I guess there's probably like um, a rich vein of psychedelic kind of style that I go for in like when when it comes to metal or punk rock or whatever and even the folk stuff the psychedelic stuff is always yeah yeah, I'm just into it I think it's great
0: Independent promoters they do take a big chance uh, bringing a band in from out of town especially the bands come into town and they get their fee regardless you know Sure. and most people may not realize it's an independent promoter who also has to have a day job has taken all the risks in making that gig happen you know they will lose a bit of money but they do it anyway Uh, do you have any thoughts why promoters take those chances being in an original band for years it was never about the money for me and I get the impression it's the same thing. It's it's not about making money at all.
1: I guess coming from the collective side, we were non-profit anyway. So money went back into like a pool that was... And there was times when we lost money at shows as well. So it was good to have that safeguard against stuff like that. But again, when I moved to Cork in particular, there was like... there was promoters which we discussed off air there like Bandicoot was doing great shows but using lots of different venues probably had the support of Benny at, at the Crane Lane for a lot of shows some killer shows there and then he was putting on shows down in Myrtleville that were great and I think you do need people who, who kind of share your vision when you're booking larger venues sometimes they're helpful for sure but uh, you do need somebody who's kind of looking out for you and who's kind of on the same wavelength as well so I think when we started ping pong when I came down to the city there was three of us involved Shane, Oile and myself but the the lads from from Clancy's, so it was the liquid lounging Clancy's. They were kind of going, "What ideas do you have?" So we had a discussion with them, and we took we showed them what we were into, and they were kind of going, "Yeah, it's kind of out there, but look, let's let's go for it." So they were very supportive. They helped us with rider feeding the band and with promotion as well. They took a good chunk. They they took a risk at the start of making this work. It's quite a big room. We're taking their their Saturday night. Electric Underground lads are taking the Friday night so there was a good counterbalance there as well. So they were booking Friday. We're booking Saturday. Not every Friday and Saturday now. I think we did two shows a a month but without that support we probably wouldn't be able to do it and we we took more of a risk because we felt that with the extra bit of help on promotion and just the safeguard of having like food taken care of and they'd cover the rider and all that that we could push it out a little more we felt we did you know so i mean we had some great shows there but i mean it, there's definitely a room in the city for a, a kind of a medium-sized dedicated venue like there's loads of small promoters around the city who would would love something like that if there was a room that that could be used and someone could focus on selling beer which would be I'm sure a dream for any public and they don't have to worry about people coming through if they can help in any way as well. But yeah. we We certainly need 150, 200 capacity room. Collins is great, just a little too small, but I love it up there. Listening venue, brilliant crew, good sound engineers, great new system. Well, it's a couple of years old now. Otherwise, like you've Cypress Avenue, which is a little too big and the room downstairs, Windtrap is maybe a little too small. There's lots of different things to think about. Crane Lane is there, but not used maybe to its full potential. Like I think the half moon is a big loss in the city for sure. 100%.
0: And your Friends which is probably 80 and then Plugged yeah. is, is plugged. 35 max. But
1: some of my favourite nights now are unplugged. I love yeah. them. Like it's great. They've got the, the wee court chair out the back and nice shows getting booked in there. Like Elaine mm. Howley played her album launch last year and it was like glorious like really really cool. Mm. I thought we'd
0: kind of found it with the Kino you know.
1: The Kino was, was great. Like Joe and Ed obviously had St Luke's as well but they were using the Kino to, to great potential I thought so they actually did. It. they didn't um, half-arse it either they got the PA in lighting backdrops everything the bar was well run the toilets were a, a little tight it was like obviously because it was a, I guess a, a cinema great venue and since they leveled the floor even as well there was like no sideline issues sound was good I, I did manage to book one show and there was the percolator no spilled blood and it was like a raging night it was great and I think everybody walked away with a good memory of that one you know
0: I can remember about four months of going to a lot of gigs there to, yeah. to see Fixity and the jazz weekend, sure. The Quarter Block Party 2020 was mm-hmm. there, and it just felt like we mm. finally got a venue that we, that we needed. That's it, and, and City Centre as well. A-
1: Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Covid was obviously. <laughs> it, there's more important things than um, than music, maybe in in the, in, in this situation. But um, I think Joe and Ed had potentially looked at creating a new venue after they left the Kino on Ship Street, but it never came together. I think there was so many false dawns and starts. It was just too dangerous a time to to pump a lot of money into a venue and take a risk. That everything was going to be fine, but so I think they looked elsewhere, and obviously, they did have St. Luke's as well for bigger shows. And
0: just to go back to my question, there the people in Clancy's took a chance, you know, they and it did. was a success. Yeah,
1: yeah, if, yeah. I, I could
0: be wrong because I'm, I'm, not, I'm not really out that much mm. anymore myself, sure. but um, it feels like that philanthropic maybe sensibility might yeah. be a little bit lost in the city now from venues yeah. or a place people that have a room, you know. I yeah. don't know, would you agree with that? I, th-
1: I think so. I think. If they can sell booze without stressing out too much about anything else, they're just going to do that. That just is, the, it's more simplistic, you know, it's why go to the extra effort. Mm-hmm. I think we do need a little more. It's cool to go to like the crane lane late at night. I mean, they run great midnight shows there as well, like uh, Alliance Garden, Hot yeah. Pot and search results there last week. But I just, I mean, it's midnight and I'm working on a Friday. It's not, it's not built for me, but um, like big fan of search results from Dublin. I would uh, really look, enjoy that and pot pot i don't know if you know those guys yeah Yeah, great band and obviously strong lisbon cork connection which um yeah enjoy their shows a few times i've seen them now and featuring the unstoppable elaine malone as well so the next one is the electric prunes the great banana hoax it's another kind of psychedelic gem (laughs) love it
0: That was Electric Prunes with The Great Banana Hoax and I was picked today by my guest Albert Toomey. Is there a lot that goes into running an independent label? Do the bands look after the recording and do the labels look after distribution and booking the gigs? And just for anybody who is listening that has no idea what an independent label does for a band, can you tell us a little bit about how it works?
1: Sure, I guess without limb, it was all hands on deck. I started with a couple of friends and we pretty much paid for duplication. We tried to get into the record stores. Pretty much that was like by handballing it into the record stores getting to Dublin, going to the different shops, getting a docket like Sailor Return. So it was m- mostly sl- Sailor Return and I guess it is to this day pretty much. Although I was lucky enough with the two labels to get distribution through Cavalero for Out and Lim, through RMG distribution and then with a great guy called Seamus Carl. Helping with that, he's totally into it. He used to be involved in the Moore Festival and Lazy Bird. Knights in the International Bar and a total hero absolute X tower Records head so he knows how it works. So he was brilliant and he helped out a lot. And when I came to Penske again we're lucky to have a lot of great record shops in the city and I got to know a lot of the people who personnel who worked in the record stores in Dublin as well so I kind of got records in that way but I obviously wanted better reach as well so I managed to hook up some distribution with Cargo and they took on Pretty much all the titles. But I think you find with the distribution companies as well, they get charged by the warehouses after a certain amount of time. And then they're going to pass on the charges to you. And then you have the option of either recycling or taking the stock back. It kind of all costs money and stuff. And again, it sounds like a nothing, but it is. It's just a consideration. But for, for a while, Cargo were brilliant. Got our records around the world. So that was, that was fantastic. Yeah, mm. so... A lot of them kind of sold through. Still have a few at home, which <laughs> hopefully some people might buy now after listening to this. You can pick them up in your local stores in the city. Bunker, Plugged and Music Zone are usually well enough stocked.
0: Did the bands themselves look after the recording of their albums? Um,
1: basically, yeah, with with Woven's Skull, which is the first record on Pinsky, I paid and helped kind of hook that up. So it was actually two of the lads from Altered Hours recorded that, engineered that. It was and Paddy. The lads had the artwork lined up. I guess they all have a different idea of what they need to do to get it over the line. Dan from Fixity, he just gives you everything. I pay for duplication. I give them a percentage of the records and stuff and they hold on to the digital side of it as well in Bandcamp. So mm-hmm. I just mm-hmm. do the physical. And it's got more expensive again. Hence, I haven't released a record now since 2018. But I mean, you have to make a decision. Like with Dan, when we sat down uh, to talk about the things in the room, and said, this is this is going to be a double LP, dude. Are you sure? Like, this is gonna cost me money man and he goes yeah that's the record and I was going okay because I looked into Dan's eyes and like he 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 told me that was it and I was going I believe him like I'll always believe Dan Walsh whatever he tells you But, um, yeah, it can be an expensive endeavour for sure, you know. I mean, I was kind of lucky in a way without a limb. I had money that I could spare for a project and I didn't really know what I was doing. And then I met two other people who didn't know what they were doing and we all did it together. So, yeah.
0: You know, you're doing it for the love of the music. Sure. And the bands. 100%. 100%, And they're all your mates. But then there's a part of your brain that has to switch that off and go into marketing. Do you know sure. I mean? and Yeah, yeah, a, yeah. Did you find that difficult?
1: Yeah, well, I studied marketing in <laughs> college in Limerick back in the day. It, it, it's in, in and around there somewhere, you know, so did use a little bit of that. And again, with the help of, of Seamus Cavalero and again with Cargo and, with, and, and Penske, having the distribution is good. As well, it costs money f- mm. to distribute and yeah, you're always, it's getting squeezed, I guess, everywhere, you know. I mean, like, the local record stores have been brilliant to support like John and Bunker is great Jimmy's good to pay and like Rain in Music Zone so, they're all fantastic you know and um that's good and the Dublin record stores are good as well but Mm -hmm. it is it's it's tricky it's tricky business you know but it's good to give yourself the opportunity to have someone in Australia or the US get their hands on it you know now it's not always attainable you can always sell through Bandcamp as well but the cost of shipping vinyl these days now is insane as well
0: if you go back to maybe 2004 or 5 there seemed Mm -hmm. to be like the independent scene in Ireland seemed to be really booming it was the first time that you might have heard of independent labels sure. and, it, and would have been heavily gigging at that point but out in a limb and Trust Me I'm a Thief
1: that's one of the biggest inspirations for me would have been Brian Mooney at Trust Me I'm a Thief yeah, yeah. and it
0: was year two labels <laughs> you know at the time you're probably a bit young and you're like oh they got signed to Trust Me I'm a Thief oh amazing, you yeah, know? Yeah. delighted for people that yeah. when that would happen you know yeah. there seemed to be a real kind of weight behind the two, those two labels especially you
1: Yeah, know? Well Brian his quality control was brilliant though yeah, yeah. like I can remember looking at him Listening to him talk about the new C Schroeder album before I got to listen to it and coping mechanisms and yeah. kind what of, hap- what's happened to his second album? I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> we were all asking the same question. He's telling me about this record. is is stunning. Like, and it, it's my favorite Irish record. Like,
0: mm. so around that time, with out in the and trust me with teeth. Did you feel a, a real sense of responsibility towards your bands?
1: Yeah, I got to know them by seeing them play live. They, a lot of them would have played AMC shows and um, I was kind of going, there's something there, like, that's great. Like, if you can harness that energy and get it recorded, that's that's going to be a hell of a record. And, uh, like, I was lucky with Waiting Room and 10 past 7 and Rest coming down. I was kind of going, yeah, I'm into this, you know. Some of the best drumming you'd see, there, obviously with everything else, but I was kind of going... Geez yeah let's do this He went to doing a record And they all seemed into it They seemed like There was a bit of an excitement For sure You know I went on tour With a lot of them as well I was like I I had more time and resources To get involved with the label And kind of see it From start to finish I guess when you were talking about What do bands bring to the table You know A lot of them had ideas About artwork And all that kind of stuff So it was all like Ten Past Seven obviously had very intricate artwork with the Out in a Lim record and they all had ideas. Like there were like ideas busting, busting out everywhere. So it was a really good time. And then we were, I think we were all friends and we were, but we were all kind of rowing in the same direction, you know.
0: There was definitely a real vitality around that time. Yeah,
1: totally. And the live shows were good. Like we went to Galway and we could, we'd see the kids were losing their minds and stuff. But funny, <laughs> I think a couple of years ago I was talking to someone and was kind of going, yeah, those gigs were always busy and... Uh, was kinda of going, I always thought we'd sell more records on the back of it, you know? And he goes, Everyone had a copy of it. Like everyone record like recorded their mate's copy of it, you know. Yeah. So that was it. And I was kind of going, I can understand, I can kind of understand it as well. I feel it like, you know, yeah. when you're a student, you probably don't have the money. Yeah, it was an exciting time. Yeah.
0: Were Waiting Room maybe the band that maybe came closer to being taken by other I, labels? I, I, think?
1: T- I think so, for 100%. Yeah, 100%. Mm. Did you have yeah. anybody asking around? Yeah, I mean, when I was in London with them, there was um, a couple of folks trying to hook up some licensing with them. Yeah. Which obviously that's a good angle in for cash money. Yeah, nothing came of it from what I know, but obviously brilliant musicians, and great record. Again, we were talking about Fugazi earlier on, they had the elements of Fugazi, I guess, kind of angular guitars. Mm. There was a lot to like with that one, you know. So the next one is Wooden Ships, another one of my favorite bands, We Ask You to Ride.
0: That was We Ask You to Ride by Wooden Ships. And as picked today by my guest, Albert Toomey. Albert, let's talk about Plugged. In 2007, you moved to Cork and began a long stint alongside Jimmy Horgan in Plugged. You always managed to keep the entity that is Plugged going. There were a good few changes of venue for the shop down through the years. Looking back on your time in Plugged Records, what are the things you're most proud of, do you think?
1: Yeah, it was quite the adventure, I guess, just mentioning about all the... the the times we've had to move. It was it was a very stressful time and at times we didn't know if we were going to be able to hang on. But I think we just very determined, bullish. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, again Jimmy's still trading down the coal key, doing a great job. We were just talking about that space for shows. And it's a cool looking shop and still pick up some records there. Very
0: important for the city. Yeah. yeah.
1: And also I think when, when we when we finally had that home after Washington Street and the Triscoll I think the proudest moments would be a lot of the gigs we put on uh, in around that time using the TDC and obviously Christchurch. Great opportunities. I mean, I love the ESP substation as well. And just yeah. when you're talking about moments to be proud about, I remember putting on Son Ra in there and it was one unbelievable night. It was a very cold night, but it was like people left there like um, with wonder you know wondering their hearts and minds it was like uh, just great yes. running the events as well I think Jimmy always saw that was a, a big part of the business even though it took a lot of time and resources as well just to put on events to run like plugged presents events so the TDC was great for that we obviously had the pleasure of putting on Stars as the Lid as well just as a human and someone who worked in a record store that was like magical for me you know and it's one that i remember for forever I think and um, R.I.P. Brian McBride who passed away recently enough, but um, it was a very special night for for us, and um, I think people in Cork appreciated that as well. Do you think
0: that time in Triscoll it was always going to have a finite amount of time because there was probably so much going on that it, could you keep that going? You That's know I mean?
1: yeah, yeah. It's kind of an interesting one because Jimmy was running the cafe as well, so there's events down there, events in TDC in Christchurch. So I guess there was the potential to, it was f- for chaos, like you know. Yeah. And um, I think you, you do find, even though the Triskel folks are great, that. Sometimes they just, they need more calm. <laughs> yeah, I yeah. think just a lot, lot of art spaces are kind of built for cinema, maybe classical stuff. I think there was a lot of chaos. I was into it. <laughs> yeah, it was great. I mean, the cafe yeah. was essentially yeah. a Amazing. The, yeah, you know, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. yeah. And some great events in there as well. Yeah, some special nights. Long yeah. days, though, if you were, if you were working in the, the shop and then turning it around. Uh, like there was events happening in the, the shop as well in the Triscoll like uh, Richard Dawson played there an incredible show I think people were walking around in the around total days after it and myself included it was like incredible
0: I think I've had this a few times in Cork where something works it's great I remember thinking yeah. this isn't going to last long sure so, and I remember seeing 10 past 7 in the Foss building and it was it was perfect yeah, yeah make, make it make <clears throat> it felt like you were in Berlin sure and I remember the same thing going this is great but yeah. it's Cork, it's not going to last
1: too long. And then we had a space like the Cork Community Print Shop. Yeah. Um, and I don't know if you remember Danny and Adele from Art for Blind. They run Safe as Milk Festival in Sligo now. I think everywhere they went, they they wanted to make their lives better and yeah. other people's lives better, you know. So they created that space. And like when they went to Sligo, they worked hard at creating a community of people who wanted to put on shows and stuff. And Sligo has a, is a little hotbed of... Weirdos and artists and musicians living there now as well. And Taff is living there. Yeah, that's right. Uh, Cormie from Lancome is living there. His partner, Root, from Landless. And there's good heads up there and the, like, there's an interesting scene going on.
0: Just to bring it back to Plugs, I suppose my point being that like plugged is still flying.
1: It is, flying yeah, you know, yeah. If you took that out yeah. of the
0: city, Wayward Mariacha play and yeah. things like this. Yeah,
1: know? that's it. It's, it's a valuable space. It's always been a valuable resource and fair play to
0: Jimmy like he's still he's yeah. still it, you know?
1: yeah I know we've used the word social hub a lot with Plugged and I know I've used it in a few interviews and just talking to people and stuff but it's true like it is like people go there to find out what's going on and yeah. invariably what's going on is there you know when you when you ask you will receive like yeah there's a show on here this weekend or whatever you know, so it's a, it's a good space. I mean, it'd be nice if it was a little bigger, but I think it actually the character of this there is amazing and people enjoy playing there as well. Yeah. So for Elaine Howley to do her album launch there was great, like, you know. And it was a testament and it was actually perfect. So the makeup pout to the people, this song is a raging groove. Love it. <gasps>
0: I was the makeup with Poe to the people and I was picked today by my guest Albert Toomey. You recently started working in the libraries in Cork City and uh, between a few different libraries. Not to get too misty about libraries but how important do you think libraries are in our civic landscape?
1: Absolutely yeah it's they're critically important. I mean I'm kind of based generally in the Grand Parade but I'm on a relief team so I'm all over the city and you see all sorts of people coming in. Obviously students right now some people want to get in get some warmth, people playing chess. Yeah, there's a quite a range of people. The printing services is always busy in the library and there's, there's lots of resources there for people, not just online, but within the, the library itself. So we're always kept busy. Obviously, people can access the internet. There's a PC room there. Yeah, it's been a great experience so far. I'm just there three months. So the relief team has me around the city. Typically, I could end up anywhere from Glenmire to Holly Hill and enjoying all of its so far. Mm-hmm. I guess they all have their own different personalities. You'll find Tory Top and Holly Hill are kind of newer libraries and they're they're cool. Like the Gamelan is up in Holly Hill. It's not laid out. It's in a, it's in a press. But um, there's a good crew up there, enjoy uh, Holly Hill a lot and it's it's not too far from my house as well. So
0: I didn't know that they had yeah. their own Gamelin,
1: yeah? Yeah, Gamelin, yeah. 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 Mel Mercier may have donated it, I think, f- yeah. to the, the library. Yeah. yeah, so it'd be great to see it in action. I mean, you can't really leave it out for people to, to whack on a daily basis. But yeah, that's it. My life is kind of whizzing around the town. Nice enjoying, change Enjoying it so far yeah coming from retail it's less backbreaking. it can be quite busy as well I guess for the last 20 years I've been dealing with the public and well able to figure out how to solve problems
0: <laughs> <laughs> I know the staff in the in the Grand Parade Library Sure Library particularly have received a lot of threatening behaviour from certain groups around LGBTQ literature has that eased off now and were the staff glad to see the culture Rally supporting them
1: Absolutely I mean Forza had a big campaign there was a march and I think the patron have been very supportive from what I've seen. Yeah, it's very unfortunate. You should feel safe and comfortable coming to work and um, you certainly shouldn't have to put up with any sort of threatening behaviour. And I haven't seen anything like that, but there is protocols in place now for when stuff like this happens but i've been lucky enough now not to see it in action but it has been great like the people of Cork generally have been supportive yeah at the moment everything is quiet and it's glad to see it that way as well so this one is the units high pressure days it's one record that i like playing out when i get a chance to do so which doesn't happen too often anymore but it's it always goes on pretty well
0: That was Units with High
1: Pressure Days and I was picked by Albert Toomey. Albert, what's on the horizon? Gig wise, have you anything coming up? i booked a book to show for the first time in ages. Um, I've been kind of chasing this duo from Baltimore in the States called Dar Sombra. Again, on a bit of a psychedelic tip duo. Great AV show. They seem like good folks as well. So I'm excited for that. That's Thursday, May the 30th. One of the folks on my label, Magic Pockets, uh, Ruin from No Spill Blood, is going to open for them as well. So that's, um, tickets will be on sale the next few days. I'll be starting to push it in the next few days as well so watch out you're bound to see it on on any of the socials Instagram it's just Albert Toomey, anywhere you'll find me on on Twitter or Instagram I've given up the ghost on Facebook unfortunately (laughs) but uh, again Collins is a good spot to see shows and this one will be a little unusual for them it's not going to be too loud but it could be could be weird I'm really really excited about this one Uh, Darsamber are great they just got booked for Roadburn festival which a lot of Corkheads would go to every year and they're also playing Desert Fest in London a few other festivals as well which makes this tour of Ireland easier for them so they know that they're getting decent fees for the bigger festivals again something we touched on earlier on where like a lot of bands it's so expensive to travel and go to Europe now as well so they do need festival slots or bigger shows to pay for it and these guys have been brilliant they want to visit Ireland but the fees are we're going to pay them decent fees and take care of them as well you know hospitality is a big part of it as well I guess when I was in the AMC and uh, ping pong as well there was also like obviously a social element but you want to make sure they're fed they're happy and you know sometimes there's a bit of a party on afterwards as well so that's, that's always good but yeah so that's that's happening in May and I'm excited for that and it's going to be good to get Magic Pockets down as well he hasn't played in Cork for a while so yeah excited for that
0: so for anybody listening you know who might want to get into promoting gigs sure or running a a label sure have you any advice
1: yeah be sure of what you have and (laughs) make sure who you're working with understand what you're offering as well I guess you do probably need to have an idea in place as well, if it, particularly if it's going to be promoting a show. If you do have any sort of financial or general support, that's a good start. Let let people understand what, what your aim is. When it comes to releasing records and stuff, I mean, even on an artist level, you can put records out. I mean, Bandcamp's a great resource for people. I know things are changing there now we don't know what the big picture is I guess there but you can do it, like I mean I had um, distribution in the UK but there's a brilliant store called Norman Records, if you do contact them and say will you take 20 of this, I'm sure well 20 is a, maybe a lot but you, you you could contact them about taking a record and ask them to be your distribution point in the UK, if they like it and they, they usually do if you're a confident and they've been great support for a lot of the Irish records, um, particularly my label as well but Otherwise, they've been good to push and they're well respected in the UK independent scene as well across metal all the way down to folk. So they've got great taste and they, they're they kind of tied in with the quietest as well. So they, they're they in the year, their 100 best albums of the year, whatever, like Norman are kind of clued in there as well. So it's good. I mean, distribution is great, but if if you you, you can find a way to get your records around... Like UK and Ireland obviously are the closest markets to us. The UKs obviously have their own issues at the moment. But um, Norman could take the bite out of stuff like that, you know, I think. And putting on shows, find a venue you're comfortable with. Don't go into debt. Make sure you've got a decent PA and make sure that you're happy. (coughs) I picked this can tune before um, the dead of Damo Suzuki recently. But I just do want to give him a shout out. He was... (laughs) Obviously, an incredible frontman, and I had the pleasure, well, we had the pleasure in the AMC of putting him on with the sound carriers, talented musicians from around Ireland, friends of ours, and it was a great night in the high school years ago. So, fond memories of hanging out with Demo and watching him perform and reliving what a joy he was as a frontman. So, RIP to that guy, and this is a tune from a later record, but it's a banger as well. Can, I want more. <laughs>
0: Tune in to Keeping Track every Monday at 1pm on UCC 98.3 FM. Keeping Track is hosted by me, Dave Hackett. I interview people in our community from all different backgrounds and my guests also choose the music that they love. When I'm not hosting an interview, I'll be playing a random selection of alternative music, old and new. Stay up to date with the show on Instagram where I announce upcoming guests and radio documentaries. You can listen back to previous shows on SoundCloud, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. Keeping track every Monday at 1 here on UCC 98.3 FM.